0: Hello there and welcome to the latest installment in our Horizon Discovery podcast mini-series. I'm Kevin Davis, the Executive Editor with the CRISPR Journal and delighted to be the host for today's discussion on simplifying knockouts using genome editing. My guest today is Ryan Donnelly, Product Manager for Gene Editing at Horizon Discovery. He's based just outside Denver, Colorado. He's trained as a biochemist and joined the company in early 2019 where uh, he was previously with Canon Biomedical. Ryan, hello. How are you doing?
1: Hanging in there.
0: Good. Good. Before we get into the questions and the subject of the day, how is Horizon doing during this awful COVID-19 <sighs> crisis?
1: Yeah, Horizon's continuing on. We run a lot of our services out of the Cambridge site and that's been unaffected. So cell line engineering and our functional genomic screening is still ongoing there. Our manufacturing out of the Colorado site, synthetic and viral is continuing on probably because they don't allow me to be in the office so they can actually focus on what (laughs) they need to do. I've been working out of the home office for... I've lost track of weeks, but I'm guessing kind of mid-March now. It's been good catching up on stacks of manuscripts that I've been trying to get through.
0: Okay. Well, CRISPR Journal is always ready and willing to consider interesting new manuscripts. So let's get into the subject, uh, simplifying knockouts. I think my first question is, why is Horizon currently focused on simplifying CRISPR knockout workflows?
1: As anybody in the field knows, CRISPR is an incredibly powerful technology. And, you know, we just want to make sure that anybody wanting to use the technique, regardless of where they are from a background perspective, can be successful in it. I usually hear CRISPR being described as extremely robust and a very easy technique. And I would say that's very true compared to the more historic techniques out there. But still, for a brand new lab to this, it can be complex. There's many parts of the workflow. There's multiple reagents that are required for this. So our goal at Horizon is really just to kind of break down those barriers and have labs that are just starting this start generating data quicker with the least amount of frustrations as possible. So that's the start for us. For labs that have been in this for a bit and maybe looking to start moving into different types of cells, we see this happening in the field. So working in immune cells like T cells and B cells, stem cells, and even true primary cells that gets more complex. So, you know, we're not talking about an easily transfectable and easy cell line to grow up in culture. These cells are more difficult to work with. So, you know, that's been kind of our shift in focus as well as for labs that are looking in these more difficult to edit cell types, how can we help them as well? So it's really the entry-level user just, you know, here's some background, here are the reagents, here's some quick start protocols. And then for labs that are really pushing the boundaries, how do we help them as well? So that's really been our focus.
0: And just to frame the rest of our discussion, what systems are we talking about? Are we talking about cell lines or mouse knockouts or other animal models or all of the above?
1: So for the reagent side, we usually talk mostly around cell lines and various other cell-derived models. It's really on the user where they take it, but if you come to the site, a vast majority of the information that we have, application notes and things similar to that, around kind of standard cell lines
0: okay you talked about some of the difficulties that researchers have that sometimes CRISPR isn't quite as easy uh, as it says on the package what are some of the common pitfalls that you encounter that researchers new to the CRISPR field and trying to perform knockout experiments what do they typically flounder on
1: we've tried to really break down that entire workflow from start to finish and say where do we even find hiccups internally so horizon's been at this for a number of years but we're always pushing the types of cells that we're working in and the applications that we're trying to do. So we're wet bench scientists as well. And so, you know, we can see where these pitfalls are, but I would say it's kind of three main areas, guide design. So actually designing the guides, delivery of the reagents, and then how you're going to confirm your edit or your knockout. So for guide design, really the fundamental question that we get a lot is, well, where should my guide sit down? Where in the gene makes sense to target for a knockout? And we've kind of approached that by, we have pre-designed guides for human and mouse that we guarantee to edit. And we've trained this design algorithm to prioritize selection of guides that are going to give a functional protein knockout. And we did that by doing machine learning on a proteasome assay. So what we were looking for was if we had a knockout, a fluorescent protein that exists and there gets degraded. So. That is a very binary thing. We were looking for fluorescence or not. And we started scoring those guides that gave us that knockout higher. So one of the unique things with our algorithm is, you know, we don't really focus so much on just high editing efficiency. That's great. And it gives you a little insight into, oh, this guide's going to work well, but it's not the be all end all, just percent editing. So we really prioritize functional protein knockout. So that's where I would say is one of the first things is guide design. The current assumption is, well, you know, I'm just going to load everything up in exon one, make an edit, and then everything downstream is going to be knocked out. That's not always the case. What we've found is our guides can be kind of strewn throughout the different exons. They don't always sit down in one specific exon and that's honestly just because of how the algorithm scores things, and we've seen success with that. The second, I would say, is delivery of the reagents, so both the guide RNA and the nuclease. There's so many different delivery methods out there, standard lipofection and nucleofection techniques. It really is going to come down to the type of cells that you're working in. We're working on optimized protocols for these more difficult-to-edit cells, immune cells and stem cells. Specifically, we're looking into those right now. These are going to change, and it's critical that you find conditions that are going to work for your cell type. It's a really fine balance of generating high levels of editing. So getting these reagents into your cell without having a viability hit. You don't want to blast these reagents into your cell and have 90% of your cells die. That's not ideal. So it's a real balancing act there. And then the third would be a kind of editing confirmation and analysis. So similar to the delivery methods, there's countless options out there for how you're going to analyze your edit. So Are you looking at percent editing? This may be of interest for folks looking to do knock-in experiments where your knock-in efficiency, its upper bounds is your editing efficiency. So we need to edit and then we need to get a donor in there. So that may be a first step for those folks. For people looking on the knockout side, they're likely going to be working in probably western blots or immunofluorescent staining where we're doing some type of antibody staining to show a lack of that protein. So once again, it really comes down to your application. But yeah, I would say those three areas are where we see a majority of kind of the difficulties when people are just looking to start working with CRISPR.
0: And just to follow up on something you said, did I hear you correctly that you run your algorithms to design what you believe is the optimal one guide rather than potentially hitting a gene with a bunch of guides to make multiple cuts? Why isn't that other method potentially a better system than just using a single guide?
1: So we have multiple guides available for every gene. The design algorithm is going to generate a handful of guides. You can rank them and it honestly comes down to cell type. So you can have a list of five or 10 guides. They're all going to work well, but maybe the order in which they work is different depending if you move between cell types. That's why we have them. The one thing that we have found though in our work is that the best performing guide of that set is going to be the upper bounds if you multiplex those guides together. So if you're just looking at doing functional knockout our recommendation is really to try multiple guides, but try them individually. And you get cleaner edits that way. You're only editing one specific region of the gene, and then you're just going to select which guide gave you the best performance and move on from there. Instead of having multiple guides within a sample and then tracking what types of cuts those can have, larger insertions and deletions, what effects those are going to have downstream. It's just a cleaner method for us to do knockouts.
0: How has Horizon been successful at streamlining CRISPR knockout workflows?
1: So I would say outside of the guide design, so the algorithm and the protocols that we're developing, we've focused more around the products. So I would say really it's the support that we talked about on the guide design, protocols, application notes, but then taking that and thinking, what types of products do we need here to really help folks with that? And if we think about it that way, I would break it down into cell lines that we offer and then just strictly on the reagent side. So we have a library of ready-to-go knockout HAP1 lines. So for researchers that don't want to do the knockout work themselves, check out the library that we have. You can pick that up and start your work today. You don't need to go through the process; we've done it for you. The other, this is a little peek behind the curtain. In the next month or so, we're looking to release cast nine expressing lines. So, not a full knockout, but it gets you a step closer. So select your cell line, it'll have Cas9 expression in it. And then all the researchers required to do is deliver their guide and then editing takes place. So those are a couple ways that we can help. And then just strictly on the reagent side for true do-it-yourself labs that are doing all this wet bench work themselves, we've looked at synthetic guides. So combining synthetic guides with protein, both of which we have complexing those together and dropping those into cells. It's a really powerful technique. We see that a lot in T-cell editing using that. They call it an RNP complex, ribonucleoprotein complex. We also have lentiviral Cas9 expression. So if people want to make their own stable expressing cell line, they can do that. We have a few options for that. You can even go inducible one of the interesting formats that we have that I love to talk about is this all-in-one vector. So it combines both a gene-specific guide RNA and the Cas9 nuclease into a single vector, and that gets loaded into viral particles. So the way that we love talking about that is it shows up ready to use. So you thaw the viral particles, drop them onto your cells and wait for editing to occur. All the critical pieces are in there and it comes ready to localize to the nucleus as it's loaded into virus. So those are some of the productized ways that we help folks out with knockouts.
0: Great. I think you're hinting or explaining that there are many different reagent formats for both guides and nucleases. So how is a researcher supposed to choose between them?
1: When I came on last year, I uh, did many exercises of sketching out the portfolio and what we have for what, and it's still a learning experience. So it is a big benefit for Horizon to have all these different iterations of guide RNAs, how we can package them, you know, synthetic or expressed, all the different Cas9 flavors that we can offer at the same time. But it does become an issue of trying to help folks out for labs that haven't done this. Where do I start? So that's really the key thing that we try to help with. You know, Knowing that we have this wide portfolio, how do we help people get the most ideal reagent format that they need? So the way that I usually think about that is I ask a very simple question. The question is, can your cells be transfected? If so, Let's start out with something easy. Let's start out with a synthetic guide bound and use it with a DNA-free Cas9 version. So that's either mRNA or protein. What you're going to see here is you'll transfect it in. If you're using protein bound to your guide RNA, editing is going to start instantaneously once it localizes. So really, you just need to get that reagent complex into your cells. And once it's in there, you're going to have success. So really, the limitation there is just you still need to define that ideal transfection protocol. But once you do, the reagents are stable and they're ready to work right when they get into the cells. So if your cells are easily transfectable, start there and then go from there. If your cells are not easily transfectable, or if you don't mind having integration of the nucleus and the guide RNA, I would point to that all-in-one vector. And I say that because it's super simple. You, know, you tell us the gene that you're editing in, pick a handful of designs, And then what shows up is viral particles that, as I said, you thaw out, you drop onto your cells and you wait for editing to occur. So they're very different reagent formats, but both of them really have the goal of simplifying things. So it really just comes down to, the type of cells that you're working in and your level of comfort on integration.
0: Okay, a couple more questions before we close, Ryan. Horizon also offers functional genomic screening services. We've talked about that in some of our previous episodes. How will these knockout workflow improvements affect your functional genomic screening offerings?
1: The way I always think about that is for us to run services, we need to be experts in this as well. So if we're developing optimized protocols for these difficult to edit cells, it's going to help us out on the service side as well. A protocol is a protocol. Granted, if we're working in a very highly arrayed fashion for a large schooled screen, we may need to tweak things a bit here and there. It's not individual genes, but in principle, the protocols hold. So I would say those help the services out. And then more on the customer piece of that, we have a lot of customers that will look to us to do high level screens for them. And then we'll hand over a list of hits And maybe they want to follow up on those hits internally. So what we've done is for all of our screening services, we use the same exact reagents that we offer to our customers. So you don't need to worry about any alignment of sequences. The reagents are the same that we used in the screen. So it allows very few hiccups in transitioning to do that hit validation in your own lab. And the other piece is screens can be any size. We do up to whole genome. We've broken these libraries out into many different sizes. So starting at gene families and then going up to like the druggable genome and even whole genome, these can all be broken down into the size that makes sense to start with. So it's really kind of a flexibility piece there, as well as to make sure if you're doing the work inside in your own lab for follow-up. You don't need to worry about any changes in reagent format or sequences.
0: Has everything we've been talking about up until now been focused on Cas9, or can researchers use other Cas enzymes? The family's growing all the time, obviously, for some of these knockout applications.
1: So a vast majority of the reagents that we support on the site are Cas9-based, so that's what you'll find on the site. Through the guide design tool, though, we do really offer users the ability to use any nuclease that they want to design guides. So really, a customer can come to the site. So long as they know the PAM and the repeat sequence for their guide RNA, they can punch that in, and the design tool will generate results for knockout for those.
0: Final question. I don't know if you have your crystal ball there at <laughs> home, but uh, where do you see the application of gene knockouts going in the future?
1: Yeah, I will not take credit for this at all, but I was reading some papers, I think it was October, November of last year, and Jennifer Doudna was asked that same question. And you know, I'm not going to break from her infinite wisdom. And okay. she eloquently said, we need to be looking at doing any type of edit in any genome in any type of cell. And I just distill that down to any edit, any cell. So that's where our focus has been. So there's a lot of work going on right now in standard cell lines, doing simple knockouts. Where does that go? So to me, we need to start looking at things like multiplex knockouts. So not just a single gene looking at knock-ins. So we talk a lot about knockouts, but we can use these techniques with a donor. We can supply a donor and then we can generate sequence changes. So actually making base pair swaps, adding in fluorescent tags, it's another layer of difficulty. So we have to make the edit and we have to have a donor in there and that needs to be successful. So that's going to happen. And then, as I said, moving into these difficult cell types. So From the edit side, multi-knockouts, knock-ins, that type of work, but the different types of cells. So I mentioned immune cells. T-cells, they're difficult to work with. We've found success with electroporating them, but that's that super fine line of not killing all your cells by shocking them and getting the reagents in. Stem cells. I have a very brilliant R and D scientist who came to me with a lot of background in stem cells and I'll never forget. She described this to me as well, stem cells don't like to be clonally isolated. It's difficult to do single cell dilution with them. I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. And her response was, Yeah, they love to cuddle. (laughs) And it's just the best visual to me. These stem cells, they don't like to be alone. They're people cells, I guess. So it's like understanding those nuances of cell type, how you're going to deal with those difficulties. So our focus now is for these different cell types that people are moving into, how do we kind of lower that activation energy of getting people up and running with these difficult cell types? So we're taking a lot of focus right now, generating protocols to help people with that, to help people working in these different cell types.
0: Fantastic, Ryan. Thanks so much. Very interesting and enjoyable discussion on simplifying knockouts. And I suspect that as people are housebound like you are for the next few weeks and months, the demand will be pent up as people are strategizing that blockbuster experiment or experiments that they're going to be doing, perhaps with your help. So best of luck going forward. Thank you. That's the close of our podcast today. I've been joined by Ryan Donnelly, product manager for gene editing at Horizon Discovery based in Colorado. My thanks to him. My thanks to to horizon for their sponsorship of this podcast series and most of all to you for listening to this episode we'll have more episodes in this mini series in the very near future but for now for everyone on the CRISPR journal i'm kevin davis thanks for joining us stay safe and see you soon